Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. He promised he would. He even provided hints of when and what would happen. So where is he? What's holding things up? If you're like me, listener, you've probably thought along those lines yourself. We want to know, why hasn't Jesus returned? Let's put that question to Dr. Jennings, who joins us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, help us out here. Where is Jesus? You know, Charles, I'm so glad that you're bringing this question up because this is something I was raised. I remember the hymns, lift up the trumpets yes, and loud let it ring, yes, you know, and, and so the, the expectation of the second coming. And if you read scripture from the New Testament on, this has been the perpetual anticipation of every generation that Jesus was going to come soon, but he hasn't come. And we ask the question, well, why? And Peter gives us an insight. Well, a day with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day because he is patient, not wanting him to be lost. Okay, we get that. Okay, that makes sense. But then, okay, let's get everybody ready. Well, what's going to be necessary to get everybody ready? That Well, the gospel. The gospel has to go. The gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to the whole world, has witnessed all nations, and the end will come. Oh, okay, we get that. So let's get the gospel out there. Well, hasn't the whole world by now heard about Jesus? And this is the point I'm about to make, Charles. Paul talks about at the end of time that the world will be a terrible place. There'll be terrible times in the last days. People be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like anything we know today? <laughs> it sounds like walk out your front door, there it is. This is our society today, it's our world, but notice having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Mm. See, he's not talking about godless atheists. Paul is saying at the end of time that Christians, people who claim a belief in God, are going to functionally be no different than the godless. And in fact, data shows that to be true. Child molesting rates are no different in Christian homes and non-Christian homes. Spouse abuse rates, no different. Addiction rates, pornography use rates, they're the same in all these homes. Why is this the case? Well, the gospel of the kingdom. And I'm going to suggest to you the gospel of God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom has not gone to the world. A false gospel has gone to the world. And in fact, the version of Christianity that the vast majority of people accept as orthodox is not Christian at all. It's pagan. And the core to this, and the Bible prophesied about this, God prophesied through Daniel that after Christ's victory at the cross, that a a power would arise which would seek to change God's law. Paul expounded on this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he writes, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the second coming of the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction who sets himself up in God's temple and proclaims himself to be God. So Paul is telling us that there's this man of lawlessness, this man who is against God's law, who is going to arise and set himself up in God's temple. Now, 
what temple is that? Is Paul saying that after Christ ascends into heaven, that some uh, man rides up into heaven and knocks Jesus off his heavenly throne and begins to reign? No. He is talking about the spirit temple and the spirit temple, the hearts and minds of the believers. He is saying that there is a man of lawlessness is coming, and he's going to create a system of beliefs that is going to dethrone our view of Christ and is going to set up this lawless person in our hearts and minds in the spirit temple as the one to be worshipped. And how did he do that? Very simply, by getting us to reject God as creator and his laws as design laws, laws upon which reality are built, and to accept this lie. God's laws function no different than the laws human beings make up, simply a system of rules that require the rule giver to punish. Once Christianity accepted that view of law, then Christianity replaced the creator God with an imperial dictator, the man of lawlessness, and we began to teach all types of horrible things about God, that God, in order to be just, must use his power to torture and kill, either torture and hell for all eternity or torture as long as you need, that God sent his son in order to have all the sins put upon him, and then God would torture and kill his son at the cross in order to pay the legal debt, and that when bad things happen in the world, that that's an act of God, and God is the source of pain and suffering and death, and God needs a blood payment in order for him not to hurt us and kill us, and thus— Christianity has been infected with imperialism, and we worship an imperial Roman construct of a god, and that is the god that has gone to the world regardless of denomination. And God is waiting for people to rise up and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, to reject the imperial dictator view of God and come back and worship our creator. And then when that happens, then the end will come. And so if you see this difference between the creator God versus the imperial dictator God, you understand why Jesus said, my kingdom mm-hmm. is not of this world. Mm-hmm. Human governments that run on imposed law do not represent my kingdom. We have to reject a Christianity that functions like a human government and embrace the Christianity of the creator God. So when we read this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, there is meaning to the word this he wasn't talking about the kind that we're seeing today, but a very different kind that he demonstrated to us with his own life. Yes, the kingdom is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, in you because he writes his law in our hearts and minds and he circumcises the heart by the spirit and he removes the, the fear and self-centeredness that drives us to want to dominate and control others and puts in a heart of love and trust and truth and liberty where we practice the principles of God and how we trust others. We present the truth and love and we leave other people free. And so we become like Christ who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself in the form of a servant all the way to the cross. In other words, he gives of himself for the welfare of his creatures. Notice that contrast with how Isaiah describes Satan's attempt to become God, where he says, I will ascend to the most high and I will rule over. And so Satan's view of God is an authoritarian being that rules over like the pharaohs, like the emperors, like the kings and the who have the divine right who exploit the masses for themselves. This is the human 
construct of sin, and this is what we made God out to be. But Christ revealed that God's methods are that God is the source of all, and he disperses his self, his own energies, his own life, his own goodness for the uplifting of his creatures. That's the opposite of what we see in the world. And until Christianity rejects this imperialistic lie and begins embracing the God that Jesus revealed, then people are not being set free from fear. They live in fear of God, and they create theologies that try to hide them and protect them from God. And thus, they aren't being transformed in their heart to be like God. He's waiting for a people to really reject that. Open the heart. Say, I trust you, God. You're amazing. You're beautiful. I give you my life. Fix what's broken in me. Well, Dr. Jennings, I got to say, I'm kind of discouraged because when Jesus left this earth and went to heaven and the gospel writers penned their gospels and then they died and Paul penned what he penned and then he died, we're not any closer to where we should be than we were at that moment. Why do we even expect Jesus to come now? Because we are so far off the mark of what this gospel is supposed to be that's going into all the world. Yeah, because there was a prophecy. I read the one out of Thessalonians where Paul actually talked about after what Christ achieved at the cross, then Satan's man of yes. sin is going to counterattack yes. it to get yes. us to reinterpret it yes. into this false view so that we actually have a false narrative in our mind about God. But another prophecy, the one that I mentioned earlier in Daniel, actually tells that before that happens, that there is a message that is going to go forward that is going to free our hearts and minds and call us back to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and seas. So there is a movement afoot on the earth today. And it's this time in Earth's history where the truth about God and his true design law is being presented so that people can make a decision to worship the creator and stop worshiping this imperial dictator that Satan has foisted upon us. Oh, and I want to be part of that. And I know Dr. Jennings wants people to be part of that. And I'm just so glad that someone is saying these things, Dr. Jennings, and I really appreciate that. What do we need to know now? What's what's next? God is waiting for He's waiting for people um, like God called Elijah to Mount Carmel right. to stand up and say, if God is like this, then worship. If God is like Baal, then worship him. But if God is like Yahweh, then worship him. God is waiting for a people to call the contrast, to call the question. If God is an imperial dictator who is the source of pain, suffering, and death, right. then worship that God. But if God is in fact the source of life, and in him there is no darkness, there is no variableness, there is no shadow of turning. He is the source of goodness and truth. Then reject these imperialistic lies that have infected Christianity and go back and reinterpret. What does justice look like under a God who is the creator? Well, under imperial law, if somebody breaks a law, that's the human kind of law, the just thing to do is to punish them. But if somebody, maybe your child has broken your rule and you had a rule not to drink the pesticides in the garage, okay, or play with them and, and for some reason your child did and they're seizing and foaming at the mouth. If you love your child, what is the just thing for you to do? Do you get a belt out and beat them? Mm. Or is the just thing for a parent to do whose child has done this is to give them an antidote Absolutely. to cure them, to heal them? And so this is what God has done. He has provided the solution for our sin condition in the person of Jesus Christ. And notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice that this is the truth, that Jesus Christ became sin in order for God to restore us to righteousness, heal us, fix us. But it has been replaced with an imperial lie that teaches people that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that God could, here's the lie, declare us to be righteous even though we remain unrighteous. 
And that is the common view held within Christianity, and it's based on the imperial law model that teaches that Jesus is in heaven presenting a blood sacrifice to his father to pay a legal debt. So the father will create a legal fiction in which he declares us to be righteous while we are still unrighteous. It's a fraud, and this is why God isn't coming, because he wants to actually heal us and fix us. It would be like the child who drinks the poison, and the older brother says, it's okay, I'm healthy, just write my good health in their medical record, but don't give them an antidote. Okay. We partake of the antidote. The antidote is Jesus Christ, and we partake of it, so it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And so the victory of Christ becomes ours, and we get new hearts and right spirits. We are actually transformed. We are set free from fear and selfishness, free to love as God loves us. This is the plan of salvation. And we also offer other people to partake in that antidote, right? Yes, then we become conduits or we become yes, avenues, yes. we become agents to share this truth, this healing remedy with others. The question we're answering here is, why hasn't Christ returned? Uh-huh. Christ hasn't returned because there are billions of people out there who, if they knew the truth about who he is, if they understand the truth about their actual problem of heart and mind, would open their hearts to him and they would partake of Christ and they would be renewed. But instead, they're being held hostage by a fraudulent system that tells them that they don't need heart renewal. What they need is a legal payment made to their account in heaven. And so they claim the legal payment but never open their heart for renewal. And he is waiting for them to open the door. He stands at the door and knocks. Open your heart and I will come in and sup with you and you with me. And so we need to reject this imperial legal lie and embrace the truth that God wants to heal and restore his children to actual righteousness and share this beautiful truth that, that God will do this for all who trust him. And he is not the source of pain and suffering. We don't need to fear him. We need to fear the unremedied sin in our life, which is causing us all the pain and suffering. Fear the unremedied sin in our lives. There is your statement for today, listener, from Dr. Tim Jennings. Comeandreason.com is the website. You'll find a lot of resources there, books and blogs and radio programs and television programs. I think that if you immerse yourself into this line of thought, couple things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to have a, a lot more understanding of what God is and how God acts, but also it's going to transform the way you deal with your neighbor, the way you deal with your spouse, the way you deal with your coworker, the way you deal with a stranger at the gate. Something wonderful is going to happen as God takes up that residence. We hear the knocking, we open the door, he comes in, and he takes up that residence, and my things change, and it's all changing for the better. Am I right, Dr. Jennings? That's exactly right, Charles. Dr. Jennings, always thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.